Good evening. It's good to be with you again uh, tonight. You know, there's a statement that's made that um, things are bigger in Texas. And I suppose they are. That's just, for some folks, that isn't an assumption. That's the way it is. Things are bigger in Texas, and therefore, bigger is better. Therefore, Texas is better. All right. Uh, this morning, Blake alluded to some... Um, sports events and the commitment that people have to sports teams. I once had a student who moved from Texas up to Michigan, and I teased him about becoming adjusted to living in the North. Uh, you know, missions folks, they like people to identify with the people that you go to live with. So I was pushing him a little on that. And I told him, well, you know, you will be adjusted when I hear that you are rooting for the Detroit Lions. And he said, but they aren't the Cowboys. And so people really do carry commitments a long way, even across country. The Jews made a trip across country once. Uh, they were returning from Babylon uh, rebuilding their beloved city and their beloved temple. In, fifth, in 586 B.C., Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was razed as the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. That magnificent temple was wiped away. Think about its beauty. I don't know that we spend much time in really just thinking about what Solomon, through the grace of God, built. It was overlaid with pure gold, precious gems in it. It was overlaid with pure gold, the ceiling beams, the walls, the door frames, the doors, all of it overlaid with gold. In 2 Chronicles, the third chapter, verses 8 and 9, we're told that in the most holy place, they overlaid it with 600 talents of fine gold. Now, I looked at my footnotes, and it said about 23 tons of gold in the holy of holies. A magnificent structure for the God of Israel to take habitation in, and it was destroyed. When they were coming home from Babylon and getting ready to build the structure and into the building, there were mixed emotions. It was a great event to restore the structure. It had been demolished. They had been in exile, and now they were home. And there was a mix of joy and sadness. Uh, turn with me, if you want, to uh, Ezra, the third chapter. Just let me read just a little bit about this. Ezra, chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments, 
and with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, uh, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. A mixture of feelings. Not everyone had seen the previous temple, but there were a few folks that had. And it created some sadness in their heart as they looked at what was going on here and what they remember Solomon's temple was like. Let me read a contemporary prophet as well. Zechariah, the fourth chapter, verses 8 and 9. There we find that Zerubbabel laid the foundation of the temple. And in verse 9, the hands of Zerubbabel Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares to despise the day of small things? This one isn't like the previous one. Another contemporary prophet is Haggai. If you turn back just, I think it's one book. In Haggai, the second chapter, verse 3, says, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? And then he goes on and exhorts them to be strong and courageous. Down in verse 10, the Lord says, I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. God's giving his blessing to this structure. It is going to be filled with glory, even greater than the previous house that was built by Solomon. Some scholars see that as a reference to the Messiah's coming. Others see references to the physical structure because he mentions some of the things that it is made of. Either way you take the meaning, God is saying, don't measure what I am doing based upon what you've seen before. Because I am able to bring glory to this house just as much and more than I did to the previous one. 
This idea of not despising the day of small things is really what I want to touch on uh, this evening. Jesus in his earthly life, the story of his life is filled with a lot of small things. Uh, you could give a great list of them, uh, but uh, I'm not going to give uh, exa- an exhaustive list. Uh, you can start at the beginning, Bethlehem. Micah, the fifth chapter, verse 2, and I put a marker in here. There it is. Um, Micah, the fifth chapter, verse 2, the prophet says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Bethlehem was so small, tucked away, hidden, overshadowed by Jerusalem, five miles southwest of Jerusalem, a rather undistinguishable place. But we even uh, mark the beauty of that little place when at particular times of year we sing, O little town of Bethlehem, and away in a manger, no crib for his head, and sing about what happened in that little Jewish village. You contrast the beginnings of Jesus' life with how the lives of the Pharisees were lived. They loved important seats. Uh, When we were in Kenya and you went into a house where there was going to be a gathering, um, people sit down, Someone with more honor comes in, and there's a lot of shuffling in the chairs. Uh, They know who gets the proper places of honor. And that goes on until everybody is there and settled. But the Pharisees looked for the prized chair of honor. You know, they were not too thrilled at a lot of what Jesus said. In fact, you even contrast them with Joseph and Mary. Uh, Joseph and Mary were no doubt small in the eyes of those who considered themselves important. They might have thought if Jesus had only been born in in better circumstances, he might have done better or we might accept him. But they had needed to understand that for God to do something great, many times he works in small ways. We all know the story of the little boy's lunch. The task at hand, feeding a crowd, is contrasted with the smallness, the meagerness of the resources Five small loaves and two small fish and over 5,000 people. This is the only miracle that is recorded in all four, that's a Kenyan four in fact, it's not this, it's this, in all four Gospels. And so it must 
rise to importance for various reasons, and I'm not going to get into all of them, maybe another time. But in John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 9, Andrew, who found the boy, asked the question, How far will these go among so many? You see, skepticism in the question, and probably skepticism was in his voice as well. Jesus more or less says, you know, trust me. And he had a simple request, just have the people sit down. Well, it was small, severely limited, and yet it was multiplied in excess to meet the needs of all of the people. I'll mention one more thing out of Jesus' life. We talked about the beginning. This is toward the end. The cross. Big? Yeah. It's big enough to nail somebody to it. But also, if you think about it, there's a kind of smallness to it in that it's all too familiar. It can kind of just meld into the thousands of crosses that they had seen over the years as people were killed on the crosses by the Roman authorities. Jesus was executed there. The cross, that way of dying, was a stumbling block, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 23, to the Jews. Unthinkable that their Messiah could end up on a cross. And yet what they are missing is to, in Paul's uh, methodology, to go to the Scriptures and see just how the death of Jesus was going to work something wonderful for the lives of men and women all over the world. Not just in His crucifixion, but in His glorification by that event. You can see a pattern here. So many times God chooses to work through small, ordinary people and things. Things that we might discount. You know, the Apostle Paul had to divest himself from all of his largeness so that God could use him. In Philippians, the third chapter, is where he gives his resume, and he finally, as he has this stellar Jewish resume, understands that he has to lay it aside in order for God to use him. Beginning with verse 4. I myself have reasons for confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. 
But whatever were gains to me, I now consider them loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. He understood some things. That in his pride, that very pride kept him away from God. And that it's turning loose of his pride and stepping lower would allow God to use him in his kingdom. Jesus, in fact, said in Matthew 18, 3 and 4, unless you become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. In that culture, a child is equated with the lowest, the lowest position. Culturally, there and in many uh, tribal worlds and where we were in Kenya, children were last. Men ate first, women second, and the children last. That's the way their culture is organized. And Jesus is saying, you have to step into a world where you are willing to be last. Or you might even say little. To understand the things of God. Jesus gave significance to a cup of cold water given to his disciples. Matthew eleven twenty four. A cup of cold water. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40, in that vision of the end of time, the question that is asked of people, or that is even told to people, is that you were feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick, and those in prison. And the people ask, when did we ever see you like that? It's interesting that the righteous weren't even aware of the significance of their service. And Jesus said, whenever you did it to one of your brothers or sisters, you did it to me. We typically want to care, uh, compare what we're doing with what someone else is doing. We can become trapped into believing that something needs to be big for it to be important or good. And that's not true. Not in the economy of the kingdom of God. We want to do something big for the Lord, big for the church. But he reminds us, don't forget the beauty and power of small things done in my name. And I want all of you, you know, Eunice and I haven't gotten acquainted with very many people here. We are learning and it's growing and it will continue to grow. But I know that there are so many people here that God uses to do important things as you serve one another, 
as you give a kind word to somebody, give a smile to encourage people, as you visit them, as you help them with maybe a task that has become difficult for them. Give them a hug. Give them an encouraging word. As you pray with somebody or as you pray for someone intercessorily, you are doing the work of Christ and to Christ. We do so many things that allows God to be moving in our lives and touching the lives of other people that are a part of our church community. When Christians do small things, I believe that this is the Holy Spirit shaping his community. Small things, now this is what I believe, small things more than big things build community. The one-on-one actions, the neighbor connecting with a neighbor, a friend checking on a friend, those kind of things are the things that truly build the bonds of community within the church of Jesus Christ. What if we responded to every prompting of the Holy Spirit. The church would be a busy place, I do believe. But that is a part of who He is within us, to help us to have eyes that are open, to see where needs are. And maybe the thought comes through our mind, I'm of an opinion it doesn't just wander through, it is a prompting, I ought to go see that person. It would be good if I gave a call to that person. It is the Lord wanting to expand the strength of community among those who are the believers and members of the body of Christ. What if we responded to every prompting of the Holy Spirit? Let me maybe put it within reasonable reach for me and everybody else. Why not see if you will be more responsive to his promptings and act on them when someone comes to mind and you can do something to bless that person. If the Holy Spirit is active among the church, we would see more small things than we would see big things because they would be happening person to person. And let me encourage you with this. Don't scoff at what you do or minimize what you do by saying things like, oh, it was nothing. It was something to that person. And it was something because it came from you. You can give actions of blessing to people like no other. You are unique in how you can do that. Sometimes I think we kind of grab hold of a false humility and uh, when kindness is done to other people and uh, 
We just simply need to say, you're welcome. And I was happy to do it for you. Let the Lord take credit. Let him lead you into the world of community. Recently, I came across a statement of Billy Graham's that I like. <clears throat> he made this statement. It's kind of interesting. He said, I'll never say that I led someone to Christ. And he says, I say that because I realize that there are so many other things that happened in that person's life. It may have been a mother who has prayed for years for that son or daughter. It may be friends that have warmed them up with kindness, with the love of the Lord. Many, many things are a part of softening a heart and bringing them to the point of listening and hearing and responding to the good news of Jesus Christ. And everyone has a part in it. In a world that seeks bigness, that glorifies wealth, fame, and power, a world that is too full of itself to be of use to God, don't despise the day of small things. These are things you can do and probably are doing. Jesus intends for these things to happen. He expects them to happen. It's those similar kinds of things that he asked about in that parable of the sheep and the goats. He's looking for small things to be done by his people to each other. They are important because they are serving him, his body, the church. Don't minimize their value. Look for ways to serve others in Jesus' name because you follow him. Your contribution, your service is important and the things that you do with other people, for other people, meeting the needs of other people, praying for other people are important because they build community. They are a part of the Holy Spirit strengthening the bonds between those who meet together and they are a part of strengthening this community. The Lord smiles, I do believe, when he sees the hundreds of acts of kindness and service that are done by his people. And he says, well done. Keep doing it. Because that's who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. You may be looking for a place to serve. Uh, this is a place where you can serve. You don't just show up and uh, become a member, but uh, you meet with the elders, and they talk about things like that. I thought that was appropriate when we came here. <clears throat>
You may look, be looking for a community that you can be a part of that can help you with the brokenness in your life. They can. But really the initial person that can help with brokenness in our lives is Jesus Christ. He's here waiting. You could give him your life and begin to experience what life is like in the kingdom of God, experiencing what life in the community is like when it is encouraged by the Holy Spirit, when it is encouraged by the Lord as we help each other. If we can meet your need in any way, if you want prayers, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.